Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, well, some more MLS craziness. It just keeps rolling on. Movie stars, bail, calcio Toronto, uh, time-wasting, Ronaldo, women's Euro, friendlies, country music, Che Guevara, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant, and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this? What are we looking at here? Uh, Monday, July 25th in the year 2022. I am doing well. Lots to get to in the television department, but do you have some business you want to do? Just want to take care of some business. So we come in uh, this morning and uh, our fearless leaders have explained to us that in this age of technology, listen, uh, it's it, it is incredibly advanced and innovative and stuff like that. But there are things that have to be worked out. There are glitches. There are, um, you know, challenges along the way. So listen, here's the deal. If you are listening on Apple, all right, Apple Podcasts, Please go and search for Alexi Lawless State of the Union on Apple Podcasts and make sure that you are subscribed to the feed that has more reviews because evidently there are two different feeds. And this was just something that happened a while ago and we're trying to clean it all up. But what is going to happen is the one feed that has many less uh, subscribers and many less reviewers is going to go away. The problem is, if that is the one that you are subscribed to, then potentially you could uh, you could go away. So I am asking you. I know I know this is uh, maybe I'm being presumptuous, but I'm asking you to at least go there and make sure that you are subscribing to the right feed because I would hate for this to just fall off because you are on this other feed. Uh, look, we've tried to merge them and do all these different things, but you know you just have to go on. And I uh, I appreciate it and I respect the fact that I'm having you do more than you should have to do. But if you are true State of the Union podcast followers, listeners uh, out there, when it comes to Apple, uh, please do that for us so we make sure that we don't lose you in any way because we are going to delete that other lesser, very lesser feed out there, but we don't want to lose you uh, out there. Did I explain that clearly, Mossy? Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I wanted to make sure that I did that. So thank you uh, for for uh, for doing that if you are listening to us on Apple. Uh, Mossy, uh, see or watch uh, anything uh, interesting this week? Well, a um, couple of things to get to with you. Okay. Um, it sounds like, judging from your text, that while you still give Peaky Blinders overall high marks, you feel like it's staggered to the finish line. Yeah, jumped the shark, uh, you know, lost the plot, whatever you want to do. That The last season I thought was, and, and look, I get it. It, it. it must be hard for these writers to just continually crank out good stuff, especially when you might not, when you start a show, even know what the arc is, uh, even if you're basing it off a book or something like that. And you might not even know if you're going to have a second season or a third season, let alone a sixth season or something like that. So yeah, I thought the sixth season was weak relative to everything else. I thought it got kind of like unnecessarily mystical and, uh, abracadabra-ish when it shouldn't have. And look, I know you lost some uh, some of the cast and the the story had moved on. But yeah, I could have done without the fifth, uh, the sixth season. If it had stopped in the, after the fifth, I would have been cool. I agree. I, frankly, I didn't love the last two seasons of it. I thought the first four seasons were great and then it started to go downhill. Uh, next order of business. Yes. I've been watching this HBO true crime doc, Mind Over Murder. Uh, we're taping this on a Monday morning. The final episode airs tonight. You usually like to wait for things to be completely finished, but I couldn't. 
I you, couldn't. You were you were so adamant about it, and it just kept coming up in my feed that I said, and this is what I do sometimes, where I know the final one is coming out in a relatively short period of time, so I'm going to time it perfectly, and yet I started watching this, and I couldn't, st what is, what's it called, by the way? Uh, uh, Mind Over Murder. Mind Over Murder. The Beatrice Six. I know right. you have a real issue with the pronunciation of this town. So there's this place called, evidently, it's called Beatrice, spelled Beatrice, all right, and yet they, they obviously, that's the, the way it's pronounced is Beatrice in this but it's a it's a fascinating story you're going back and forth um i'm excited for the finale tonight uh, and it'll be it, it will be done in terms of the uh the episodes i don't think anything necessarily will have been decided it's one of these things where you have to make the, the, the choice on your own i'm a little disappointed in the decisions that the director and or producers made to include this whole uh play theatrical part that is happening uh and if anybody's watched it, you know what i'm talking about i'm not giving anything away i thought that was a little bit much and unnecessary i agree now it does sound like that's going to be an important part of this sixth and final wonderful episode. that's great that's so great hopefully they can tie it in in a way that it, it feels worthwhile that we spend time with these people. but i do recommend it and by by the time you're listening to it all of the episodes will be out there so you can binge it i have to say this whole concept of coerced confessions that comes up a lot in these true crime docs I'm sorry. Seems very convenient. If I didn't kill somebody and I'm accused of killing somebody, I can't imagine in what world I'm ever going to say I did. This but. is what, <laughs> but this is exactly what what they're fighting against in that, yes, that's the whole point is that you can't possibly fathom that in this moment you would say something. And yet you've never been in that moment where you are physically and mentally drained and you have professionals on the other side that are trying to get you to say something and ultimately you say something, if for nothing else, to stop the relentless, what you feel is attack on you, uh, either physically or uh, or mentally. And so that's what it is. But I completely agree with you. I think it is a convenient uh, way at times to explain uh, something that you want to be explained. I also uh, at times compare uh, DNA evidence and crusty old police detectives with the relationship between <laughs> analytics and crusty old general managers in sports. There you can tell we go. it's something they don't totally buy into. You could tell the guy in this documentary was like, right. well, I guess if the DNA evidence says that, but I'm still not sure, you know. <laughs> and not everything was collected. Not everything was tested and all that. Yeah, I, 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 I get uh, I get that. But anyway, it's a, it's, it's a good one to watch. Uh, I have one recommendation. You have any, uh, do you have any other recommendations or anything uh, that you want to mention? Well, uh, like I said, we're taping this on a Monday. Another episode of Better Call Saul tonight. They are throwing 99 mile an hour fastballs. The first two episodes of this last batch have been absolutely incredible. I cannot wait to watch the next one. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, I'm not watching it because it's still not over yet. Uh, but I, after what you have said and others, to be quite honest, eventually I will binge that. Um, there's a new documentary on HBO called The Last Movie Stars, uh, and it's about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, uh, two incredible actors um, of their generation and of multiple generations, to be uh, quite honest. It's it's a fascinating look into, well, first and foremost, this incredible um, love affair between these two actors, but also the dynamic between these two actors and how when they got together, she was basically the star and how that dy dynamic shifted with the family that they had, the mixing of the families that they had had before together and her being stepmother and all this kind of stuff. It's really, really interesting um, to see the way they interacted, the way they grew, the way they evolved. Uh, Ethan Hawke 
does this. Uh, the former, well, he's still a, he's still an actor, but he's been around for a while. I do think because they they have these um, transcripts because evidently Paul Newman had tried to do a um, a biography. And at some point, he was not happy with it and ended up burning the tapes, but not before they were transcribed. And so they have these transcripts, and so they get actors out there to read parts. And for example, George Clooney is the voice of, of Paul Newman. And there's many other big-time actors that do this, Laura Linney and, and, and others. It gets, it gets a little actory. A while there, which I think takes you off of what is, I think, much more interesting, which is the story of these two. And so if there was a criticism uh, for Ethan Hawke in terms of putting this together, I think he injects himself and others in in a way that doesn't add at times. And it really at times shows the, you know, the uh, pretentious and self-absorbed uh, egomaniac type of attitude and behavior that many actors and actresses have out there. So if look, I'm all for, you know, sucking the marrow out of life and beauty and art and talking about things in a descriptive and, and beautiful way and emoting and doing all that. But I just think it takes something away. So you'll, you'll, if you watch it, you will see what I'm talking about. You may agree or disagree. Regardless, you should watch watch it because, like I said, it's just a fascinating examination of two incredible uh, actors and two really, really interesting human beings and all the twists and turns that their relationship and their lives took throughout this, you know, this this incredible career and the times that they worked together and were able to work together. And you know, Paul Newman still has my favorite performance in my favorite movie, which is The Verdict. Um, and I will, to my everlasting dying breath, defend that movie to anybody out there that needs it to be defended to. So he's, uh, he's one of the greats in this. And this movie does, uh, and this documentary does in, in, in a certain way, live up to how great both of them are. That's not without flaws, like anything. Uh, anything else, my friend? Nope. All right. Uh, for those of you that are still listening and have not clicked off, uh, uh, you know, clicked on or off here, let's get to some soccer. Ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Where should we start? All sorts of MLS action. We are coming to you, as Mossy said, on this uh, Monday morning after a full weekend slate of games and all sorts of craziness. Where do you want to start here? We're going to start with LAFC for a change <laughs> because uh, they continue rolling 2-0 winners away to SKC. Uh, Arango with yet another goal. And then Gareth Bale opens his MLS account. Uh, he came on as a sub in the 65th minute for Opoku. So we got about 13 minutes of what I think should be the front three of Bale, Vela, and Arango. And then Vela got subbed off in the 78th. Um, and Arango uh, assisted Bale's goal. I don't want to keep beating a dead horse on this, but uh, the idea that they would even consider shopping that guy right now is beyond me because he is absolutely on fire. So to me, they shouldn't overthink that. Well, the the idea would come, as we've mentioned before, from like what our friend Stu Holden would argue is that he has reached his ceiling and so you sell well, it's high and he doesn't necessarily believe that it's going to get that much higher. And yet each and every week we come back here and it kind of uh, it kind of gets uh, it gets higher. And a bird in the hand in Major League Soccer is is that much more valuable because Money is 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 fine and well out there, but the ability to flip whatever money you get for an MLS producing, especially an MLS producing goal scorer, I think it's difficult because of the structure and the unique aspect of Major League Soccer. 
And LAFC open up a four-point lead in the Supporter Shield race, and they've played one fewer game than Austin. Austin suffered a 4-3 defeat at home to the Red Bulls, despite two more goals from Sebastian Drusi, who a lot of people think is emerging as an MVP favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but LAFC, if they win that game in hand, it would push it to seven. Uh, I think they would probably build a, a big enough gap that you feel pretty confident saying they're going to win the Supporter Shield. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think they something massive would have to happen in terms of not only a drop in form, but probably multiple injuries out there. But they're firing on all cylinders. They're fun to watch. They are must-see when it comes to the uh, uh, the talent that they have. And as you said, you know, Bale still isn't even starting yet. Uh, but that's that's good for LAFC. I guess to a certain extent, this is good to see from a Wales perspective, for any of you out there that care about that. Um, not necessarily good to see from a U.S. perspective. Uh, the goal that he scored was, you know, if it wasn't Bale, I'm not sure we would be going crazy about it, but there was still some guile and there was still something special about the quick way in which he released the ball. Um, Another split second is what normal players would do, and yet he recognized in that moment that the quick fire release was what needed to be done. Even, uh, we talked last week about uh, Romario, and sometimes the toe poke gets a bad rap, but sometimes it can be incredibly effective if if used uh, if used. And there was a topokish type of uh, part to that play. Uh, and we're going to be at Bank of California yes, Stadium on Friday for a great game, LAFC Seattle. It's funny, although Seattle are not in the playoffs right now, I still look at this as the battle between the two powerhouses in the West. I still feel like Seattle might be the only team that has the star power and the pedigree to not be overawed by this LAFC team. Do you buy that? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be fun because we have seen this slow creep of Seattle after their you know, wonderful and historic CONCACAF Champions League win. And yet this, this hangover that we thought was going to dissipate has not. And yet they've just cobbled it back piece by piece, got up close to the playoff line, had some moments and, and some backfalls here and there. Um, and I think everybody keeps feeling like they are going to kick on. I just don't think that they are going to be the elite type of team that we have seen in the past. By the way, that doesn't mean that they can't get to the playoffs and win a MLS Cup because there still is that intrinsic uh, knowledge and uh, experience that they have and ultimate quality. But this is going to be a really, really good test for Seattle. And, and almost them being the underdogs, if you will, in this game might play to their advantage here. It'll be interesting to see if Steve Terundel looks and throws out Bale in a starting capacity. Kalini played half and came out at a halftime. Still don't know what the situation was like that, you know, if it's if it's a, a problem for him. Short turnaround to a certain extent uh, playing on, on Friday, but I think you got to go all guns blazing. And I know Seattle will be licking their chops to kind of make, yeah, they talk about statement games. I mean, well, this would be a statement game for Seattle and for LAFC for that matter. That's uh, FS1 on Friday night. Yep. Seattle snapped a three-game losing streak this past weekend. They beat Colorado 2-1. Jordan Morris with a nice goal in that one. Uh, we were at Dignity Health Sports Park last Hold night. Hold on. Can I say something about the Seattle game before, we, before we move on? Of course. Okay. So uh, for those that watched it, um, Seattle actually went down to 10 men and still was able to come back and beat uh, Colorado. The reason they went down to 10 men was because Kellen Rowe, in the 47th minute, I think, got his second yellow card. There's a lot of debate about this play. And for those that saw it, the ball was going out over the sideline and Kellen Rowe chased it with 
reckless abandon, tried to get there and didn't make it on time, slid. And as he slid, the ball came into his hands and in almost one fell swoop, he threw it over the boards, okay? This, as far as I'm concerned, and there is debate out there, but as far as I'm concerned, I saw it as a deliberate attempt to waste time, uh, or to more importantly, to delay the restart. And a, and a throw-in is still a restart of the game. Because rather than have the ball just sitting right there for the Colorado team to go and get and play quickly, it was over the boards, in which case it's then multiple moves. You have to go find the ball, you have to bring the ball in, and then you have to do it. This happens many, many times in a game. Rarely does it get called. The referee, which... Keep in mind, MLS referees, one of the focuses of the year has been trying to stamp out players that go about doing things that do delay the restarts. He, in that moment, felt that it was appropriate to card Kellen Rowe, obviously giving him a second yellow and then kicking him out. Uh, he was beyond belief, as were the insufferables up there in Seattle, and understandably so, because this is not a call that you see often. But as I have said before, whether you want to use the, you can't be a little pregnant, or if you want to use the analogy of, Mossy, you drive a car, right? I'm going to assume that at times you speed, right? And you look around and there's probably a hundred other cars that are also going above 55 miles an hour. If and when you get pulled over and you tell the police officer, sir, everybody else was speeding, that's not going to get you out of a ticket, all right? You, you take that risk, by speeding, that you could be the one out of many people that are speeding that get pulled over. In that moment, Kellen Rowe, first off, on a yellow card, so don't be dumb, rec took that risk of throwing the ball over, which in a hundred other times might not be called, but that he actually got caught for breaking the law, all right? That should come as no surprise to him because ultimately that's what you did. I know it sucks. I know it sucks for him. I know it sucks for Seattle. And I know you can scream and yell to the referees. But what's your solution? That players should be allowed to delay the restart of the game? And you say, no, no, you have to use your, your, uh, your, your judgment. No, well, the judgment was that this guy broke the law, which he did, and nobody can say he didn't, all right? Unless, you, unless you're going to argue that just in one human movement, he slid and was able to throw the ball over uh, in a natural move that any human being would do, which is ridiculous. Anyway, I digress, but that for me was an important point out there as we go on, because we're going to argue referees' calls all the time. But when you argue somebody actually breaking the law, all right, and actually getting caught for it, you can't argue that, well, nobody else gets, gets caught for it, and therefore this person didn't break the law. You're just angry that he got caught. You are a stickler for the rules, my friend. I am a stickler for the rules and the laws. So if you got pulled over doing 56 on the 405, would you shake the cop's hand and say, hey, you're doing your job well, my friend? I'm not gonna you got me? I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to shake his hand, but I'm not going to argue that I wasn't breaking the law, okay? If I was if I thought that I was only going 54, then okay, then I can then I'm going to argue that. But if I'm going 56, it sucks. And you're an asshole for doing that, okay? But I got to pay the ticket. And I look like an asshole if I'm arguing that it's, well, I'm just a little pregnant. Anyway. Uh, so as I was saying, we were at Dignity Health Sports Park last night for the Galaxy's home game against Atlanta. The Galaxy 2-0 winners. 
Uh, who else but Kevin Cabral got the first goal? <laughs> and then uh, Jovalich came off the bench and deep in stoppage time gets the second. You and Rob Stone then interviewed him afterwards. He's a colorful character. Wonderful, I've, wonderful. I've seen him described as a likable Ivan Drago. He, yeah, uh, <laughs> he was so he was he was nervous first off because he was speaking English and he wanted to kind of have very short and quick types of questions that he understood. And he was wonderful and I I think really endearing. If you saw the uh, the interview, he. <laughs> Rob was cracking up even later in the night when we were driving home. Rob just started laughing at one point because, you know, he, you know, he, I think at one point he said it was a great goal and basically just said that was a really good goal. And maybe it was lost in translation. And then when he called himself the future of the galaxy, I was like, ah, oh, this is money. This is what you want. And look, it's a crapshoot sometimes when we get players where English is not their first language. But he was, as I said, really, really human and endearing. And he had just come off of scoring. And and there's a there's a moment, and I don't know if, if if people saw it on the replay, but after he scores his goal, which by the way was the second goal, it was probably offside, but you know I digress. Ultimately, the ball goes in the back of the net, and he takes a, a sly look over to what I think is the bench, because while he said all the right things and wants to play and all that kind of stuff, he's not starting, and yet he comes on and scores goals. And that's what the question that I asked at the end was, should you be starting for the Galaxy? And he, he answered it diplomatically and said, I'm, I'm just here to score and whether I'm a starter or not uh, going on. But there has to be some frustration and or anger about the fact that he can't get a starting position and yet he keeps scoring. Yeah, eight goals in the last eight games for him. Frankly, when he's on the field, he feels much likely to score than Chicharito, yep. even who has two in the last 13. So I agree with you. So you have these two center forwards in LA right now, Arango with LAFC and Jovalich with the Galaxy. I don't know if... Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, seriously, both those teams overthinking it. I mean, uh, one shopping one of them and the other one can't get in the starting lineup. But It was fun, by the way, to be on site uh, for the first time in a long time and you know to just to see and smell and, and just feel that again. And it was a huge win for the Galaxy. Uh, they Even though the score was 2 nothing, for, for all intents and purposes, it was one nothing, and Atlanta was all over them in that second half. But they just, there's no ruthlessness, even when they were throwing Dom Dwyer and Joseph Martinez uh, onto the field. They just cannot, uh, they cannot score. And for, you know, for the Galaxy, uh, you know, I said this uh, on air, um, I, Greg Vanny, if we were to wake him up in the middle of the night when we are at our most honest, I think he would admit that this is not a great Galaxy team and certainly not relative to the great Galaxy teams in the past. It's a good Galaxy team and it certainly has enough and should find a way to get in the playoffs. But I just think that this musical chairs is going to continue to happen. There's going to be a huge bunch up when we come down to it uh, for that for those playoff spots, which is going to make it really, really interesting and fun. And that music is going to stop. And someone like the Galaxy very, very easily could find themselves without a chair. And by the way, I'm not advocating Jovalich over Chicharito. I think they should play together. Right. Take one of those wingers off the field. Costa, Cabral, Grancier. Those guys are giving you nothing. Costa was this. better last night. Uh, Cabral and... You know, maybe the, the goal notwithstanding. <laughs> no, I mean, he scored a goal, but it, it. I mean, talk about frustration. And I know people will say, "Oh, you got to give him time." Look, this is a guy who has had plenty of time. This is a guy who has paid a tremendous amount of money and has not performed in the way that I think anybody, including the Galaxy, would have uh, would have wanted. And I might have been a little harsh last. No, I'm not harsh in in what I said, but uh, no, harsh in what I said, but not necessarily what I meant. In that I said. There are times when I am watching Cabral and I'm not sure that he's actually a soccer player. 
okay? And that in and of itself as a quote is, is stinging and biting. And it's, it's intended to be, but what it is also intended to explain is there, there is a feel. When, when people that play soccer and watch soccer talk about being a soccer player, there's something more to that when you are, you are saying that. He does stuff that is, that is anti-soccer, and it shouldn't be that way. And, and by the way, he can do things that I'm going, wow, that's amazing. And then the next instance, he is like Bambi on ice and has almost, it, it seems, no clue as to how the rhythm of a game or the mathematics of the game actually happen. And that's what I meant by, uh, by that comment. But it must be incredibly frustrating for him because I know he's pushing and trying, but it's just not happening right now. And for his teammates that have high high expectations. I mean, if I had the speed and the gliding ability that that guy has, I, I would have been, you know, I mean, I never even came close to that. But if I were able to add that, and yet he doesn't seem to yet have been able to harness that into any sustainable soccer playing way. I agree. Absolutely confounding player. Uh, the loons are flying, my friend. Yes, they are. Five wins and one draw in the last six. During the stretch, they even squeezed in a 4-0 friendly win over Everton. We'll talk about that in the Ask Alexi segment. Yep. But they've surged up to third in the Western Conference. How impressed are you by them right now? It's wonderful. And, I, and you know, keep in mind that there was a point where they were struggling and Adrian Heath, the coach, had gotten a new contract and people were saying, whoa, was that a little early and stuff like that? And so, you know, this is a team that in, inevitably in an MLS season, you will find these pockets. This is why I love that um, that the part of the website that you go to that does the, the, the red and the yellow and the green part and shows your um, your path, if you will. And you, you will see these massive green blobs within a season. And that's where everything is clicking. People are healthy. And even if they're not all healthy, it's just something that, that is happening. And it could be relative to the, the scheduling, who you're playing, where you're playing, when you're playing, all that kind of stuff. Could be health, uh, relative to health, all that. And this is a loon green uh, moment. And should it be met with surprise? Not necessarily. These types of uh, these types of things happen. So well done for the loons, whether they're beating MLS teams or, as we said, we'll talk later on about them beating uh, world uh, club teams from uh, other places. The other team in the West playing very well is Portland, mm -hmm. unbeaten in their last seven, uh, two and winners over San Jose this past weekend. Temporarily got them above the playoff line, but the Galaxy with their win leapfrogged them again. It is interesting. You look at that bottom of the West. Uh, I say bottom in terms of the playoff picture. You've got Nashville in sixth, the Galaxy in seventh, and then Portland and Seattle eight and nine. That, that's an incredible battle for playoff spots among teams that, I mean, Nashville was a trendy pick to win MLS Cup right. this season. Right. Uh, Seattle, we know, you know, their pedigree and Portland reached MLS Cup uh, last season and the Galaxy are the Galaxy. So it's amazing that those teams find themselves in that position I mean, competing be, against each other. As you mentioned, let's be honest. LAFC's gone and I think Austin's gone at 45 points and 41 points. But then from third at Minnesota at 34 points, I mean, you have to go all the way down to Seattle at ninth at 29 points. I mean, that's five points difference. It, it and is so, quite the scrum. It is a scrum. And it's yes. going to be a glorious scrum come uh, come playoff time. So it's going to be fun. Um, let's see. What else uh, did you want to mention? A couple of games I want to mention uh, involving Eastern Conference teams. NYCFC with a nice and tidy 2-0 win over Inter-Miami. And what was, in fact, Castellanos' final game? He assisted Maxi Morales for one of the goals. Ebich was going to be replacing Castellanos up top unless they signed somebody name? else. Ebich, Jesus. silent age. Um, uh, he got the other. Um, uh, any any 
lingering thoughts on the Castellanos transfer. We talked about it some last week, and now it's definitely official. Yeah, I mean, so I'm seeing, and this is all in real time, that it is official now that he is being loaned, which would mean that he is being loaned uh, loaned until the summer of 2023, so you know, for the next year. But if he's being loaned, it would mean that NYCFC uh, and, and and actually MLS still owns him going forward, because I, you know this is being the uh, the satellite of Manchester City and uh, Citigroup and all that kind of stuff. There's all this <laughs> in bed type of stuff that's going on uh, right now. So I guess this is a a year loan from NYCFC, if that makes sense. I don't, I'll ultimately have to get it. Does this, as I said before, is this a good move for him? Yes, in that it gets him to Europe and potentially scores goals, then there's another move uh, going forward. But if he's not, I mean, are we going to talk about Castellanos in a month from now? Will he be on our radar unless he's, like I said, scoring a bunch of goals? I don't know. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, as I said last week, I have major issues with this whole city football group dynamic and even trying to figure out the intricacies of this move and who's loaning him technically to where and what that means and who owns him right now. It's uh, it's all a bit confusing to me. Um, finally, uh, Toronto hammered Charlotte 4-0. Bernadeschi with a goal and an assist. Insigne with an assist. Mark Anthony K with an assist. Michael Bradley doing Michael Bradley things. Um, I know it's Charlotte and Toronto are still six points out of a playoff spot, sure. but a lot of people think this is a team to keep an eye on with this infusion of Italian talent now. They could be uh, very dangerous down yeah. the stretch. Yeah, I mean, there seemed to be not just an energy, because energy is all fine and well, but it, it dissipates, but a, a real quality and a step up in quality. And that's a good thing. Uh, enough to make a run? Yeah, but I'm not sure it's enough ultimately to get over the line. They might have dug themselves too, dig a, too big a hole. Um, but this certainly bodes well for uh, for the future. Michael Bradley turning back the clock. Um, it was fun to see. Not just, I mean, the, uh, a set piece off his head is not necessarily surprising, but his second goal was a thing of beauty in the way that he combined and then showed not just some guile, but like some speed to get through and then everything like slowing down at the end for him to do, do a nice little chip and everything that they touched turned to gold. They even got a you know, goal off the back of one of the players that was trying to clear it. And so it was the perfect type of game for Toronto that want to kind of reestablish that, hey, we have changed. They've changed a lot in terms of uh, the Italian influence. And that's why I say, you know, Forza Toronto and Michael Bradley's Italian background certainly helps players of similar backgrounds, whether it's relative to culture and country or language. Yeah, that helps. That helps in a locker room to have people that you can relate to, to have people that you can communicate with. Um, and ultimately, the whistle the whistle blows and it's the game that we all play. But feeling comfortable and feeling comfortable in that environment is key. And that that is sometimes it's not a forgotten part of the equation, but it is oftentimes not given the importance. And you can manufacture it. You can uh, grease the skids, if you will, to make the environment that much more appealing to players. And sometimes it is having players with similar backgrounds that can communicate and that respect each other. And we've seen this done in other places. And finally, Philadelphia beat Orlando 1-0. They're still atop the East right now. Yeah, they're still a good team. That's that's our Philadelphia talk. <laughs>
<laughs> the union. Well done, Philadelphia, sitting at uh, at forty one points, uh, and NYCFC sitting right by right right behind them. All right, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we got some interesting transfer news going on around the world, and uh, women's Euros continues to roll on. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. Uh, Mossy, transfer news. Uh, with uh, the summer months here, we know that almost every single day there is something else. Some of it has legs, some of it doesn't, but it makes it uh, makes for interesting uh, content here. All right, Cristiano Ronaldo, who was always interesting content right now, um, what is going on? He's in this limbo where he is certainly still signed with Manchester United, but he's not with Manchester United right now. The world seems to have turned their back on him for the most part in terms of a potential move. And now we hear potentially uh, him going to back to La Liga, I guess it would be, to Atletico Madrid, potentially for a loan. Is this, is this had legs? And again, this is Ronaldo's people reaching out to Atletico Madrid. Sure. And there are conflicting reports as to how interested Atletico Madrid are. Some articles say no way. Others say they're at least contemplating it. Uh, interesting reaction from the Atletico fans. I saw that Contra CR7 was trending uh, this past weekend on Twitter. So, so it's a, a conspiracy yeah, that, against... Uh, so they're not enthused about this. But to me, it speaks to how desperate he is to get to a Champions League club that given his Real Madrid past, he would go to Atletico Madrid and to play for a team that plays the type of football that Atletico does under Simeone. Uh, if if Atletico went for this, can you even wrap your head around Cristiano Ronaldo on Atletico Madrid? How odd would that be for you? And and this is all like you said in an effort to be playing Champions League, right? And but the whole point of having players is to help you progress, right? And to get to that next step. And for let's be honest, for Manchester United right now, it would be to get back to playing Champions League, right? So. Having players, because this could possibly be a loan out for the year, giving him the opportunity to play Champions League. And then what? What if Manchester United goes back to Champions League? Then he comes back? That's, I mean, I know there's a mercenary aspect to it there, but I, that, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Absolutely. Yeah, the loan aspect of this at surface this weekend is bizarre. To me, that's almost the worst of both worlds. If you're Manchester United, either convince them to buy in or get rid of them. Right. Uh, yeah, it feels like you're kicking the can down the road a year in a way that would be bizarre. Yeah. I mean, but then from an actual playing standpoint, yeah, it seems very strange that that would happen. Although, you know, they've had wonderful players that sometimes, well, they've had wonderful players that sometimes don't work and the Griezmanns and stuff like that. But you, for a player, Mossy, where teams have fundamentally had to adjust to him, this would be the ultimate test as to whether Atletico Madrid were to adjust to Cristiano Ronaldo or, or if for maybe the first time in his career, Cristiano Ronaldo actually had to adjust to a, to a team that he went to. Now, if Ronaldo had his druthers, we know where he'd love to go is Bayern Munich, but yep. they don't seem all that interested despite the fact that they've sold Robert Lewandowski to Barcelona. Uh, the guy that would be Lewandowski's ideal replacement in Bayern's eyes is Harry Kane. That rumor surfaced last week. Now, Antonio Conte shut it down pretty hard. And Kane, although this time last year he seemed to be pining for a move away to Tottenham, he wanted to go to Manchester City to try to win trophies, 
This summer, I'm not getting any vibe that he's pushing to leave. He seems to have bought into the project there, likes playing for Antonio Conte, thinks they're going places. So this one doesn't seem to have a lot of legs to me, but still, it's interesting to see Bayern linked with Harry Kane. I mean, it just doesn't sound like, and, and specific to this player, I, I don't see Kane as cosmopolitan. I don't see him as international. And I know he loves the U.S. That, that's almost a different animal. I just, can you see him living and playing in Germany, in, in Munich? I just, I think he, while it would be, I think, an upward move, and, and from Bayern Munich perspective, it, it's almost a, a like for like, I just don't, and, and for not for, not for any of the soccer reasons, I just don't see it happen. Uh, we're going to talk about some of these Europe versus MLS friendlies in the Ask Alexis segment. I yep. do want to hit on a couple of the Europe versus Europe ones because they tie into the transfer market. Speaking of Lewandowski, he made his Barcelona debut yep. on Saturday against Real Madrid at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Incredible atmosphere. That, that did not Looked feel good. like a friendly at all. Uh, it's because they weren't sweating their asses off in the 110 degree weather that was outside the uh, the stadium there. Climate controlled stadiums, people. Uh, Barcelona won uh, no winners thanks to a sensational strike by Rafinha. It was nice. Um, earlier on Saturday, Manchester City beat Bayern Munich one no at in the frozen tundra of Lambeau <laughs> Field. Uh, the lone goal, uh, courtesy of Erlen Holland, on his City debut. And then even earlier on Saturday. Um, Arsenal hammered Chelsea 4-0 in Orlando. A couple of things on this game. Gabriel Jesus with another goal. He has had a phenomenal preseason. I'm trying not to get too excited, but so far this move is panning out exactly like I hoped. He feels liberated. Gabriel Jesus is a player that when he signed with Manchester City, Brazilians thought they were sending a superstar to Europe. And then he did well at City, but in a different kind of way than we imagined. He became much more of a functional player. And I think this move to Arsenal was an effort to rediscover that star inside of him. And he's playing with a swagger that I haven't seen since the Palmeiras days. So I'm hoping he can carry that over into the real stuff. Uh, but Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel gave an extraordinary interview after this game, talking about how far behind they are uh, from everybody else and how disappointed he is. And they need more players. What they've done in the market so far is not good enough. Uh, he sounded like Jose Mourinho, yeah. frankly, during his yeah. grumpier days. Um, just a bad vibe around Chelsea right now. What do you make of all that? Yeah, it's a bad look, too, for Tuchel, who, look, I know it's been an, a really interesting, and, and when he took this team over, it was obviously a very, very interesting time for not just the team, but for soccer, and he navigated and was successful uh, off the bat, but there was always this sense that it's st it, it still hadn't been his team, and it still isn't his team. But the problem is, is that they've spent plenty of money, they have plenty of talent, and yet he still seems to be complaining and whining about the fact that it's not his team. Well, when is it going to be his team? And ultimately, what does his team uh, look like? And, and again, it goes back to something we talked about in previous pods. The, the skill of coaching up players. I don't think it's completely lost, but it has become... It is it is in the back seat now, oftentimes, even for high-profile coaches, managers, whatever you want to call them. Ultimately, their job is to get these players collectively and individually to play better than somebody else. And if you can't, then get the hell out of there and get somebody else in there that could. Because there's plenty of people that would look at Tuchel as he whines and complains about what's going on and say, give me that job. 
and I'll get them to be competitive. I'll get them to, fi- uh, to figure it out. And it's Tuchel's job uh, to do this. And better to have it happen in preseason than when the season starts. And I know the mentality changes when, uh, when the games actually start to matter. But it's, it's just a bad look for a team that, while it is, I think, an elite team, this looks, uh, it's beneath him. It's beneath, it's beneath Chelsea and it's beneath him. And, you know, Chelsea, they've borne the brunt of Barcelona's voodoo economics this summer because uh, they miss out on Rafinha. And it looks like the exact same scenario is going to play out with this uh, excellent French defender, Jules Koundé, um, who is looking to leave Sevilla. Chelsea agreed to deal with Sevilla. They thought they were going to sign him, but he wants to go to Barcelona instead. So he's stalling right now to give Barcelona time to raise the funds. And why does he want to go to Barcelona? It goes back to what you said. And it's not just for Brazilians, by the way. It's the cachet. I mean, you can't not take that phone call. And now the latest reports are that Barcelona, they've activated another economic lever. <laughs> and so they, uh, so they are going to be able to offer a comparative uh, fee. And Koundé is going to push Sevilla to sell him there instead of Chelsea. So it looks like Chelsea, based on the latest reports, are going to miss out on another player to Barcelona. Uh, and I will say this. Uh, listen, like everybody else, I'm put off by what Barcelona are doing this summer, but they are putting together an impressive squad. I mean, there are some people trying to so poke, that, that's, poke holes So they're forgiven then? No, but I'm just saying some well, people- because I forgive of, them? I don't care. I mean, it's not, it's no, that's not true. Because I actually, this week, I, I contacted some people around the world to get their take on this because my little brain, okay, I, I don't know if I'm understanding this correctly. And I can read articles and, and see the you know information that comes out there, but- I don't know if I'm missing something. And it was actually gratifying because the word came back from people that said, no, you're not missing anything. We're trying to figure it out too. And so there is there is confusion out there when it comes to how, and I guess more why they are doing this and are they mortgaging the future? And if this is Mestoon Club, is it still? Mestoon Club in what they are in, in what they are doing, but time and time again, people came back and said, "We're trying to figure it out just like everybody else." I had said that you know maybe this is all being done to increase the asset value of of Barcelona, but that doesn't even work necessarily because it it, it can't be sold like that because of the unique ownership uh, situation that they have. So even as if it were to increase as an asset. Even that doesn't even necessarily make sense for what they are doing, kind of selling off piecemeal parts of uh, the asset, hoping that it is going to appreciate going forward. Even Jonathan Wilson, who I love, I think is an absolute genius. He wrote a column that I thought was beneath him talking about how by signing Lewandowski, Barcelona betraying their DNA. And it didn't make much sense. It just reeked of, I don't like what's going on, so I'm going to find some angle to poke holes into it. Um, no, 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 no. I mean, they've always been beautifully arrogant. I mean, and and done things big and bold. So I, that part of it doesn't matter to me. And again, it goes back to it's not my money. So if people want to go and spend, or and or even if I perceive it, or you perceive, it, or anybody else perceives it, wasting it, or are confused about how they're doing it, ultimately they're putting together a really good Barcelona team that you're going to watch, that I'm going to watch, that's going to be better than in, in the past. And ultimately, when that whistle blows, nobody's going to give a crap about how that team was put together in terms of the finances behind it. They're going to care that they're scoring goals, and they're playing beautiful soccer, and they're winning. But how much more prize money 
And how much more merchandise and how much more global notoriety does it take to make up for the money that you are generating by selling off parts of the, uh, of the company, I guess? I don't know. Uh, two uh, former Barcelona players making news in this part of the world. Yeah, Danny Alves has, in fact, signed with Pumas. Uh, he could even make his debut Wednesday against Mazatlan, uh, 39 years of age. Everybody in Mexico seems excited about it. We'll see. There is an interesting Brazilian lineage with that club. Pumas has two all-time top scorers, are both Brazilian Cabinho and Tuca Ferretti. Uh, however, the track record of really famous Brazilians going to Mexico late in their careers uh, is not that great. Going back to the 60s, guys like Gigi and Vava and Cochinho, Pele's uh, former strike partner at Santos, Mauro Ramos, who was a Brazilian captain, 1962 World Cup. Uh, Bebeto had a cup of coffee there late in his career. Gijalminha, Ronaldinho. None of them left a, a great mark in Mexican football. So we'll see how Danny Alves fares at the age of 39. But Wow. Folks, wow. Well, good uh, for him. Good for him that he's found a place and he wants to continue to play. And by all accounts, he can continue to play. So. Um, and finally, a, a guy who we've brought up a lot in this podcast the last few weeks, Luis Suarez, because he was linked to River Plate. So I talked about him during our Copa League segment. And then last week, you and I even muse about him coming to MLS. Uh, it appears he is going to go back to Uruguay to sign with Nacional, which is the club where he began his career. So it's actually a neat wow. story. Of a, right. So everybody in Uruguay is super excited about it. Uh, it's not done yet. We'll see. But uh, the strong rumor that that's what's going to happen. Good for him. Uh, finishing up with some uh, women's uh, football, the Euros. Uh, the semifinals are set. Uh, it will be host England against Sweden. And then the, uh, on Tuesday, the other semifinal on Wednesday, Germany versus France. If I'm not mistaken, England, France, and Germany were all in your top five list of top U.S. competitors that you unveiled during our Women's World Cup show. Yep. And then Ali Wagner more or less bullied you into including Sweden as well. So all these teams were... Yeah, I didn't have Sweden. I did have Netherlands, by the way, which obviously was was there at the end, which isn't necessarily a, uh, a surprise. And I probably, if I had to do it over again, and maybe as we get closer and closer to the World Cup next year, Spain still continues to impress me, although they're just missing that one most important key component, which is really ruthlessness in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. But their, their possession has improved and evolved. So, uh, so this is fun. This is a fun semifinal matchup. And I think... Even beyond the field, the way that this tournament has progressed and the perception of it from the outside and what is happening on the inside, I think is great. It's great for the tournament, but also is great for women's soccer because it continues to show that there is a customer, there is a market out there. And I've said this many times, for, for women's soccer, for any, I guess, other than traditional men's soccer venture out there, it can't be a charity. Okay, it can't be a situation where you're constantly saying, well, this is the right thing to do. Okay, if it's going to survive, it has to be from a business perspective. And I think continually we're showing that not only is it smart business, but it has incredible room for growth. And any business or any business person out there is going to recognize things out there that have room to grow. And this certainly is it. And I think, you know, the crowds that we have seen, the excitement that we have seen, the relevance that just this tournament um, has been able to create, I think is, is important in terms of kicking on and continuing on in the next year and how it influences not just the teams involved, but Europe and as it permeates out uh, going forward. And then obviously as we get into the World Cup next year. 
I am going to squeeze in a quick plug for the Copa America Femenina. Yep. Now, we're taping this on a Monday. Uh, one of the semifinals is tonight. So by the time this podcast comes out, over it happened Colombia against Argentina. Uh, but Tuesday night, we have the other semifinal live on FS1, Brazil versus Paraguay. The semifinal winners clinch World Cup berths, and then the losers square off in the third place game. The winner of that clinches a World Cup berth. So we'll have uh, some South American teams joining the field in the next few days. All right. Uh, anything else here before uh, we take a little break? That is it. All right. We'll take a little break, like I said, and we'll come back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right. We're back. It's time for Ask Alexi. Um, at part of the show, when you send in your questions, you can uh, use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, whether it's on the Twitter machine there or anything else. Or you can call in to our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. I think we have some Twitter questions this week. And uh, there are the questions, and then they actually lead to some other discussions of stuff that we can uh, throw in there, too. So what's uh, what's our first question here, Mossy? First up, at Where is Precky asks, can you explain why when Barca beats up on Inter Miami, summer <laughs> friendlies are a referendum on MLS that negatively impacts perception of the league, but when Minnesota routes Everton and Charlotte beats Chelsea, their meaningless games and the results don't matter? All right. Um, you, you brought up uh, friendlies a little while ago. First off, do you like the, the, the whole concept of friendlies? No, that's where I was going to go. I, I love the Europe versus Europe games, um, but the Europe versus... MLS teams, I have a real issue with. So we can we can go that yeah, path first. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we both thought it was weird uh, for Phil Neville to describe Inter Miami's friendly against Barcelona as the biggest match in club history. It backfired on him. His team got demolished 6-0. So Euro Snobs had a field day on Twitter talking about how this shows that MLS is an embarrassment. But then in subsequent games, MLS clubs that acquit themselves better, including that 4-0 win, Minnesota over Everton. So MLS folks got to return the favor a little bit. But independent of the results, uh, I mean, the very staging of these games, I get it in 2002, I even get it in 2012, but we're now in 2022, we're in the middle of the MLS season, and it still, it reeks of, oh, MLS clubs should be so honored that they get to play these teams, and, and you know, MLS is still this unserious league, so whenever these teams come over, that takes precedent, and that's that's what where the real spotlight should be. I don't know, it just gives off, I think, a negative vibe that, I, it does bother me. Does it bother you? Nothing brings out the snobbery and the elitist and the Euro snobbery uh, more so than these summer friendlies. Um, I I enjoy them and I because I recognize what they are and maybe what what they aren't. Uh, and you know when uh, where's Precky asked me this and he asked me it on Twitter and and I told him I said um, you know what because the question ultimately is why why this. <laughs> Uh, why this answer and why this way of dealing with these things? And the reason is because this is an ongoing battle to change uh, perception. And there are many soccer fans out there, and they're soccer fans. They're part of the soccer uh, landscape out there. But they fear that giving any credit to MLS or any praise or any type of, let's be honest, any type of positive attention it means ceding part of their longstanding and sacred and, I guess, comforting notion that European soccer is superior. And I get it. I understand that. To a certain extent, that's, that's natural. doesn't mean that I like it. 
but it is a it is a powerful orthodoxy as i've said time and time again and it you you see it when it when it happens i i you know i look at um you know when because uh, these you know we talked about last week these friendlies have been happening for years so there's an economic and business reality behind why they have them there's a competitive opportunity uh that happens for these teams that are involved and there is a a fun aspect of it and and so that's why i get it i can't change it i can't change this strange self-loathing of i mean i guess it ends up being of country or at least the soccer part of the country that manifests in segments of american soccer fandom out there i can't i can't do anything um and by the way and and this is not unique to soccer this kind of reaction it happens in music and fashion and uh, politics. And the only thing you can do is just kind of keep chipping away at perception. And I look at friendlies as the same way that we look at the FIFA top 10 or top 50 teams. When it tells a story that is positive, <laughs> we give it incredible uh, importance and value. And when it tells a story that is negative, we say it doesn't uh, we say it doesn't matter but it is amazing the narratives that emerge from these friendlies and it hasn't changed really it hasn't dissipated over the years it's been the same summer after summer and they use america as an atm and will continue to do so as long as they are getting these incredible crowds i will say i might annoy some people with this but charlotte did not beat chelsea fifa is very clear on this <laughs> a match that goes to penalties is officially a draw okay so in my view, MLS clubs went 1-1-3 in those five games against Europe. Um, next up, at ChrisFox75 asks, can we call him Jedi now? And what he's alluding to is a piece of video we're going to see courtesy of uh, U.S. international Anthony Robinson, who's uh, preseason with Fulham, and he showed off his card abilities here are we gonna yeah we're gonna we're gonna check it out here we're gonna see it and or hear it depending on how you're accessing it if you're listening to this right now and you can't see this if you haven't seen the clip yet every single card that he is turning over is exactly the number or the or the color or the face of the story that he is telling it's pretty quite amazing and while he's doing he's shuffling it and now he's giving it to his teammates to shuffle and yet the story continues on. Right, so I'm going to tell you a story about what happened to me. Even I was walking on the street. I met these girls that were these two redheads. And I was walking, speaking to them for one, two, three minutes. And their friends came over. It was two brunettes. Said, hi, I'm Jedi. Nice to meet you. Said, what are you doing tonight? They said, oh, we're going to a party at 673 King Street. Said, how much did it get in? They said, it's 25 quid. I said, how much? Said, 25 quid. So, you know, I'm walking down to them. Then someone rings me. I said, hello, Jedi speaking. Who is it? Said, ah, oh, you know, what are you doing tonight? Said, ah, oh, I'm going up to a party with these girls at 700 and something King Street. No, you know, the girls knew that was wrong. They said, no, no, no. It's 673 King Street. Said, ah, oh, my bad. Sorry, it's 673 King Street. Do you remember how much it was to get in? 25 quid. Said, all I've got on me is 10 pound. The bouncer said, don't lie. I said, all right, I've got 40 pound, but that's all I've got. Can you give me a good table with them at least? They said, yeah, no problem, Jedi. I'll sort you out. Um, yeah. Uh, so, cut the cards again. Uh, so, when we got there, we ended up going into the casino, and everyone wanted me to cut cards for them, give them a good hand, so that they'd win. So the first guy said, 
can you give me a pair of fours and three eights? I said, yeah, that's fine. There's three eights. Next guy said, oh, I want to beat that. Can you give me four nines? So I said, yeah, that's fine. My friend who I walked in with, he said, can you give me an eight and four aces? I said, no problem. There's one, there's two, there's three, there's four. Everyone looked at me and said, Jedi, you're not going to beat that hand. And then I turn around and pull out with a flush. All right. So listen, that is that is amazing. And, and by the way, that's how you social media right there. OK, so congratulations to Fulham for recognizing this moment. And more importantly, congratulations to Anthony Robinson, Jedi. Uh, that is that is gold out there. I, I'm interested to hear the backstory in terms of how many tricks he knows, how long this uh, this incredible card trick took to figure uh, to figure out. And I'm sure that you're out there going, yeah, but it's there and stuff like that. Well, you know, don't 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 break the magic for me because it is. I I have no idea how how it is done. I'm sure that there's a maybe even a simple reason as to why. Uh, and how uh, he does that. But I love it. Uh, I love it. Um, and it endears him. It, it, it humanizes him. It, before the World Cup here, I mean, that's, that's our starting left back, okay? And he's not without flaws, uh, as any player out there, and he will make mistakes. But, you know, seeing players in situations and circumstances that are not on the field and you see their humor and you see their wit and you see their their personalities emerge that's that is important you think it's just uh, you know it's just some dumb social media here but it, i'm more apt to give players more slack more leeway more concession if if i like them if i like who they are because i'm human i can be spun um and i can be uh, influenced, and that was influential in terms of what it was. And more importantly, it was just entertaining. And well done to him and well done to uh, to Fulham. Uh, we'll use this as a jumping off point to discuss some U.S. national team players in Europe. Interesting quote by Juventus boss Massimo Allegri. Mm -hmm. He said, Weston McKinney is probably the best American player playing in Europe. I think it's very important for him to continue showing the high levels that he has at Juve. Keep in mind, Juventus was linked with Christian Pulisic this summer. Do you think there's a faction of people in Europe that feel like McKinney has moved ahead of Pulisic and is actually the best American player in Europe? Yeah, I mean, best is subjective, right? Um, I think that Weston McKinney at times is much more of a much more of a raw player and less refined than Christian Pulisic. But I ultimately think that Weston McKinney gets the job done. Um, maybe more so than uh, than Christian Pulisic, and I think I think that actually plays better. Even playing for Juventus, uh, it maybe plays better in Italian soccer than it does playing for Chelsea in uh, in the EPL. And I'm not saying that the EPL isn't rugged and doesn't appreciate uh, rugged, but they're just such different types of uh, types of players. But this is this is high praise, and this is wonderful. This is what you want a manager to be saying about an American uh, American player. And again, it's Weston McKinney is probably the best American player playing in Europe. I would be interested to see where he feels he f falls relative to just players because it's still American player. So Weston's trick is to, to have this quote at some point in the future be Weston McKinney is probably the best player playing in the Europe or one of the best players playing in the Europe. And that's not easy to do is to make that transition from being the best American player to the best player who happens to be American. What else you got? Um, on the center forward front, um, 
We neglected to mention this in the MLS segment. Uh, Jesus Ferreira scored for Dallas in their win over RSL. And then several other Americans um, doing pretty well in the preseason, whether it's DK, PFOC, Haji Wright, Ricardo Pepe, goals, assists, etc. Um, I'm thinking back to our interview with Greg Berhalter. I asked him about playing without a center forward. Mm -hmm. And in the setup to the question, I said, Jesus Ferreira clearly has the inside track on the starting center forward spot. And he didn't refute that. And then he kind of shut down the no center forward thing and said, no, I think that lineup doesn't give us enough goals. So it sounds like there will be uh, another center forward in the in the roster for sure. Oh yeah, in the uh, roster, yeah. yeah. But I'm 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 still I still think it's Jesus Ferreira right now. The starter, yeah. And then, uh, did you get any read on Berhalter on which way he might be leaning as far as any of these guys? Pfock, Haji Wright, Pepe. Was there anybody he name checked that had jumped out at you? And <sighs> no. And by the way, if you didn't listen to the uh, interview, uh, it's in your feed, and it was really really good. I thought that we got a really honest, but also very relaxed Greg Berhalter. I think he has become much more comfortable in his skin. But as far as you know, the number nine position, he rattled out a bunch, including uh, Pepe and, uh, and Pfock and, and others out there that have the potential. Um, I think, I don't think all of these will be part of the team, but I think it's, I think it's going to be Jesus Ferrer. And I think he's I think he's come to grips with that in terms with the fact that while he would like to have a much more traditional nine, one just really hasn't stepped up. And unless something ridiculous happens here in the next couple of months, this is, you know, do you dance with the ones that bring you in? It's Jesus Ferrer or bust. <laughs> and finally, uh, at Kikers19 asks, what do you think of Christian Pulisic's love of country music? Love it. I love it. Uh, but country music is not country music. Country music is basically 80s pop rock as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it's basically a pop rock song with a slide guitar over. And so when you look at, you know, like a song uh, like Blake Shelton, Minimum Wage, or Morgan Wallen, Seven Summers, or Luke Bryan, What Makes You Country, or something like that, it's, it's just pop music. And so he likes pop music. And he likes kind of good 80s pop rock. So I have no problem uh, with that. And, you know, we've seen plenty of artists that have, that have used contemporary music to open up their audience. Dolly Parton and Linda Ronstadt and Darius Rucker and even Bon Jovi and Ron Keel and stuff, uh, and stuff like that. So the crossover is already there. And so that he likes, quote unquote, country music. Um, true country people will probably bristle at some of the artists that either I said or he would say. But... I love it because I think it just means that he likes good pop rock. And I am a sucker for the, sh- the sugary, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So I have no problem with that Christian Pulisic or anybody expressing their love for country music. Because it's really not country music. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show. And at the end of our show, I give you my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It's the end of the show. Um, we've tried to cut it a little bit shorter this week. Oh, hopefully we have. We're trying to get a little bit more strategic in the way that we go about uh, doing things uh, on the show. Um, it's the end of the show, and I give you my one for the road at the end of each and every show. Have I told you the uh, the Ecuador story? Somebody asked me about that the other day. So 25 years ago, I think, it, yeah, wait, if I do it. Yeah, 25 years ago, uh, I went to Ecuador, the wonderful country of Ecuador, on a short-term loan to play for a team called Emelec, which is in the city of Guayaquil, uh, coastal city. I actually went with uh, Joe Max Moore, and we both went down to, uh, uh, to Ecuador. Very short term, like I said. 
uh, my MLS season had finished and I was at that point, so this would have been 97, I was a year out from the 98 World Cup. And I saw the loan to Emelec as a way to play games and to keep fit. And um, I guess just to have a really unique experience in a country that I had not spent a lot of time in. Plus, it was good money. Um, they paid me in U.S. dollars, and it was direct deposited into my U.S. bank. So immediately upon landing in Ecuador, I was taken to meet the owner of the club of uh, of Emelec. And I quickly realized that this was a very different type of individual, very eccentric uh, and very just nuts. He, he, uh, he closed the door to his office and then he, he started to sit me, he sat me down and he got very, very serious. And he, he proceeded to lecture me for about an hour, I swear to God, for about an hour on the evils of American capitalism and the merits of Marxism, socialism, and communism. And look, you know, I was a, a stranger in a, uh, in a strange land. And so I, I listened respectfully um, until I thought that he seemed to have been finishing his, uh, <laughs> his speech. And then he reached underneath his desk. Uh, this is before I played a game or, or been anyway. This is the first thing that happened to me when I was in Ecuador. Reached under his desk and pulled out a small box. And he handed it to me. And he handed it to me in a way that uh, said it was to be opened in front of him. Okay. And so I, I, I said, okay, no problem. And I opened it up. And inside, I found a watch. And I look at it closer. And on the face of the watch is a picture of Che Guevara. Okay. And so I took it. And this is a gift from the president of the the team that's going to be paying me right now. And I took it and, you know, in that moment, I wanted to push back. I wanted to, you know, defend my country and defend our system. But I, you know, I also wanted to fight another day. Right. And I'm, again, I'm a guest in another, uh, another land. And so this was not the moment or the, <laughs> the hill to die on. And I was at least smart enough, even in my dumb twenties to recognize that, I needed to live to fight another, like I said, and I also wanted to, you know, get paid. So with all the sincerity that I could, you know, I thanked him and then I went on my merry way and continued to play. And I ended up having a really interesting and wonderful time. There's a whole book probably that I could write just about that three months or four months in Ecuador on that short loan. And there were so many other crazy stories on that trip, including it being right in the middle of El Nino and just Guayaquil, the hottest place that I have ever been, or at least I thought that it, that it existed on the planet. Um, and the owner actually went on to have a very successful business career and political career uh, going forward. He's since uh, uh, passed away. But the other day, I, I got out that watch. I still have that watch after 25 years with, uh, with Che Guevara on it. And it reminds me um, you know, of uh, the, the wonderful time that I had there. Uh, of all the direct deposits that did uh, clear in American uh, in dollars, and you know, ultimately, uh, of my love for country and uh, <laughs> I guess of of capitalism. So that's my one for the road story about the times uh, in Ecuador. Uh, che Guevara, a native of Rosario, Argentina, he's a big fan of Rosario Central. Last week they played in the derby against Newell's Old Boys. That's there you my, go. That's my awkward attempt to bring it back. I to love how you bring current. it. Uh, how you bring it back. But uh, you know, these are, you know. 
soccer has taken me to so many places that without it, I never would have been and given me experiences that I never would have had. And for that, regardless of the wins and losses and the kicking the ball in the right direction, the wrong direction, for that in and of itself, um, I am blessed and I thank the beautiful game for uh, giving me that incredible gift and so many other uh, stories and experiences out there. Anything else, my friend? That is it. Again, just a reminder, and I and I said this off at the top of the show, again, if you are listening to us on Apple, please search and make sure that you are following us on the feed that has the... Um, uh, the most reviews out there. There are two feeds out there and we are going to be closing down one uh, one of the feeds, uh, the smaller feed with much less uh, subscribers out there. So please, please, please check that out. Um, and we, we'll give you a time before we actually do that. But it's just one of these glitches that we have to resolve here going forward because we're going to be doing a lot of things going forward with regards to the State of the Union podcast. we got a lot of things in store as we lead into the World Cup and beyond, including much more content. You're already seeing that we're pumping out much more content. Um, you might have already seen in your uh, feed this week the interview with Todd Donovan for uh, the president for uh, Sacramento Republic out there. It was really, really fun to get him, especially in this week where his uh, his team is facing Sporting KC in the semifinals. That would be on Wednesday of the Lamar Hunt Open Cup. So even beyond the, the result of that game, check it out because, you know, here's a former great player as far as I'm concerned that has gone on to some really, really interesting and good things and successful things in uh, in management in the front office. And that doesn't always translate. It doesn't always happen, but uh, he's a smart guy. And uh, I think Sacramento, or any team for that matter, is smart to have him uh, leading the charge over there for uh, for their team. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right. Uh, thank you. Please review and, re- and subscribe and continue to download and uh, do all the different things that you do. It uh, certainly makes our life that much easier. Send us uh, any questions that you have, either uh, uh, Ask Alexi or on our podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. We will see you back here same time, same place next year on the State of the Union podcast. And until then... And as always, size the day. We'll be right back.